starting a brand new series, a brand new series of messages today as we walk through the book of Ephesians. And some of the scripture that she just read is actually the message for next week. So you got a little preview of the scripture for next week. So that's very awesome. Um, but as we think about Ephesians, um, we're, we're do, I've decided to do this because as we build throughout the rest of the spring, heading into this, this summer, and then we get to our official grand opening this fall, but I just thought, what, what better way to, to, to be on the same page as a church and as community groups to really lay a solid foundation for what God wants to see his church be and do than Ephesians. See, Ephesians is a very, very powerful book, but, the, but it was written to people so that we who are so rich in Christ would realize those riches and not talking about monetary riches, but about the riches we have in our inheritance with Jesus and the spiritual blessings that he has given us. My grandmother is an amazing lady. Uh, she's in her mid to late eighties now, and she grew up during the great depression. And so as a great depression child, she and her family, they saved and reused everything. Okay. It's just the way you had to do it. When the Great Depression was over, however, she didn't stop saving and reusing stuff. She still does that to this day. It's a joke kind of when we go and visit them. Uh, we, we pull out a, a Ziploc bag and we make bets on how many times this has been washed and reused and dried and put back into the drawer. Uh, we, we pull out a drawer. There's hundreds of twisty ties, you know, that have been on garbage and all this kind of stuff that before she puts them into the trash can, she'll take the twisty tie back off and put it, you know, into the drawer. She's got miles of saran wrap, you know, that's been washed and dried and, you know, hung out. She's got those Cool Whip buckets, you know, the Cool Whip buckets, you know. She's got probably a stack of 50 of those underneath her cupboard. And I'm thinking to myself, why? Why do you need all that? But it was... It, she would grew up during that time where you didn't have excess. And even though the Great Depression has ended, she still is living in a fear of, I don't know what tomorrow holds, so I better hold on to what I got today. Now, there's some wisdom in that. I'm not trying to you know, throw all that out. There's some wisdom in that. What's the saying? Want not. Oh, excuse me. Waste not, want not. There you go. So there's some truth in that for sure, but there's an extreme there. Now, I don't think my grandmother, you know, the show uh, Hoarders that comes on TLC April and I, we watched that some. You seen that show? Now, she's not like that, okay, at all. But um, it can get very annoying to my grandfather. My grandmother's called Nana B. My grandfather's called Papaw, all right? My Papaw, he just gets nuts. He, he, he just gets so frustrated. He says, he says Betty, I'm going to throw all this junk out here. You know how, you know, Papaws do, you know. I'm going to throw all this junk out here because he, he, it takes him 10 minutes to try to find a pen that works, you know, because she says, well, let's don't throw all the pens away because we might find an ink cartridge that could go in that pen in the future. It's like... Really? You know, just throw it away. And so uh, I don't think she's a full-fledged hoarder, but she's, she's close. But here's the crazy part. My grandparents are loaded. Loaded. I, I saw my grandfather write a check for their house on the lake in a gated community in central Florida. Cash. Wrote the check for it. He did really well in the stocks and bonds in the, after the Depression and, and, and so forth moving forward. They have Lincolns. They have you know, SUVs. They've had RVs. They've had, you know, l the list goes on. So my, I really don't think my grandmother has a clue as to how much money they have sitting in the bank. Now, we look at that and we see 
the craziness. I really think my grandmother is going to die one day in the middle of a heart attack. I hope it's a long time from now, but while she's washing out one of those coolant bowls, you know, because like, that's just what she does. She's going to dip down to put one of those number 51 in that stack of 50, you know, and that's going to be her last day doing what she does. It's just saving and storing things. We probably all know somebody kind of like that, that are wealthy beyond imagination, but they are living as though they're paycheck to paycheck. This might seem wise to a certain extent, but there's extremes. There was a story that went around a while back of an elderly man that died of serious malnutrition, but there was a bag of $40,000 of paper bag in his closet, cash, but he died of malnutrition. There was a story of a lady in the 1910s who died of serious malnutrition as well, and she died so miserable where she wouldn't even warm up her oatmeal because she didn't want to waste the money on heating water, but her entire estate was valued at over $100 million. That blows my mind. I saw heads just then go, like, yeah, that blows our mind. Why would we do that? Why does this happen? Why would we die of malnutrition and there's 40 grand sitting right next to us in the closet? Why would we eat cold oatmeal and there's, we're worth $100 million? It doesn't make sense. But you know what? We do that every day. We do. And people around the world do. Not with monetary money, but we have been given the greatest storehouse of spiritual blessings that could ever be conceived of. And yet we often, far too often as believers, live empty, defeated, joyless, compromised, safe, and conservative lives. Now, I'm a conservative, conservative theologically and conservative, you know, politically. But what I'm talking about is conservative as in we're just safe. We're holding back. Let's, let's, let's rewash these, you know, these, these, these things again because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We, we're not willing to get out and engage and give money away to our community because we, we don't know what's going to happen here in our church. And that's, that's not the time for that. We have been given so much It's time for us to live in the response of what we have been given in Christ. Here's some great news, though. God, in his infinite wisdom, he knew that we would struggle with this. And we're not the only ones to struggle with this. The entire history of the the church for the last 2,000 years have been people who have struggled with the reality of these great riches that we have in Christ. Again, don't get confused with monetary riches, but the possession that we have in Christ who we are in Christ, and we don't live that here in our daily practical world. In fact, God knew we would struggle with that so much that he had one of his apostles write a letter that we call the book of Ephesians. This letter talks about how we have been given so much. Our position in Christ is so huge. And it's time for us to start living like it. The first part of this book talks about our position in Christ, how we, what we have in Christ. The second part of the book talks about the practical living out of our life in Christ. The first part of the book talks about our wealth, all that we have, the possessions in Christ. The second part talks about our walk, how we walk that out, how we live that out. The first part of the book has zero imperatives. 
It just simply talks about what you have in Christ. The second part, there's 35 imperatives. It's like, since you have this in Christ, now here's how you live that out. The first part talks about the great privileges we have in Christ. The second part of the book talks about the responsibilities because of those privileges. It's a since then, since you have this in Christ, Here's how you live. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through verse by verse over the next some 20 Sundays until we get to our grand opening. The Sunday before our grand opening is when we're going to teach through uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the very last little part. So that hopefully during this journey, we are all becoming sound in our doctrine of who we are in Christ so that we can then practice, live righteous lives in response to the gospel. But here's what people do before we get started. People try to live a righteous life before they've been made righteous through Christ. That's called legalism. Man, if I could just do this and do this and do this, do good things, do right things, give money away and this, if I just do some good things, then God will have favor on me. It doesn't work that way. God first has favor on us and calls us to be his sons and daughters. And then in response to that new position, we then live out that Christian life. So let's get started in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 1 and verse 2 this morning. And it's here on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word, but I encourage you to bring your copy of God's Word with you each and every week. The Bible says, Paul, this is the opening, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I want us to do in our couple of minutes we have remaining. I want to just ask and answer a couple of questions. If you, took, if you read a, a letter to somebody that it wasn't necessarily written exactly to you and you just came across a letter, maybe it's something in your wife's scrapbook, you got some questions. Who is this from? Who is it to? And what's the first things that they're saying? And that's what we're going to ask. Who wrote this? Who is it to? And what's the very, very first thing of all the things that Paul could talk about, which I just answered the first question, what is he leading with? And so let's ask the first question. Who wrote this? And, and we see here, this isn't a, a brain you know, teaser here. This is Paul. Now, we don't start letters with who, write, who writes the letter. We end in, a, in our culture with who wrote the letter, like sincerely Craig or sincerely Stephen. We put that at the end. But not in the first century. They would start with that so that they knew who and what authority was writing this letter. Now, remember, this is Paul who used to be, he was known as Saul. He was a persecutor of the church, a killer of Christians. He was a, a, an absolute terrible, terrible man who murdered people because of Jesus Christ. And his life was transformed. And he spent three years being discipled in Arabia. And he has been sent by God for the rest of his life to do the will of God, to be a church planter throughout the Roman world in the area of what's called the Gentiles, that's just people who, don't, who are not Jews. It, he was a church planter making disciples and setting up churches. You know, that's kind of what we're doing here, planting a new church in an unknown area. We just moved here. It's not a known area to us, and a lot of you have recently moved here, though some have been here for a while. But we have just, we're new here. We're doing a very similar deal. He calls himself an apostle. Now, this word apostle just simply means someone who is sent. But this is specifically referring to the original 12 disciples. Of course, Judas hung himself and they replaced him with a guy named Matthias. But then Paul says, I also am an apostle, born a little bit late. He's like a half a generation younger. But he was used by God to do what 
God had set these apostles to do. In 1 Corinthians, it says that apostles are to preach the gospel. In Acts, it talks about that they are to pray and to teach people. 2 Corinthians says that the duties of an apostle is to work miracles. In Acts 14, that they are to encourage church leaders. And then we see one of the duties of the apostles right here in verse 1, and that is to write the word of God. And so these apostles were set apart. They were used by God that God sent to do amazing things. So here's what I want us to see of all that we could see in this first little part, that Paul himself knew who he was and he fulfilled the vision God had for his life. Paul knew who he was. He was Paul the apostle and I'm here to do the will of God. He knew that's our fifth core value, by the way. To know what God's vision for your life is. We taught on that two weeks ago. If you were here, if you weren't, it's on the podcast, on our website. But we want to see you know who, what God has created you for. Because if you don't know who God is, what God has created you for and to do, then we're just going to come sit, you know, kind of enjoy ourselves, shake our heads and then walk out and not really be changed and not get involved. So Paul knew who he was, an apostle, and I'm doing the will of God. Let's ask our second question. That was the first question. Who wrote this? It's Paul. And he's, got, he's an apostle. He is a, he's an authority on these matters. The second question is, who is this written to? Who is this written to? This is in the second section right here. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I just want to point out three words here. The first word is the word saint. Now, the first thing, you know, that some of us think about, especially if we come from a, of a Catholic and a non-reformed background, which... I know several of us have. Maurice, you grew up Catholic before God saved you and changed you. All right. Many of us have a Catholic background. And when we think of Catholic background, we think of this word saint. We think of someone who has died, someone who lived a really good life. And usually, correct me if I'm wrong, that after they've died, somebody has prayed to that person and they have been healed from something. And it's verified. And that person who was a Catholic that died, he's then anointed or placed as a saint. So is that who Paul is writing to? Someone who's dead and who's been identified as a saint because somebody prayed to them and was healed? No. He's writing to people who are alive. So what does saint mean? It's simply, it's the same word we get the word holy from. It just simply means to be set apart. To be set aside. To be set apart. You've heard the term holy Bible. Bible just is Latin for book. But a holy Bible is a book that's been set apart. It's been set apart. It's unique. You've heard the term holy spirit. Well, spirit, there's all sorts of spirits, right? Each of us have a spirit, but a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is one that's been set apart. It's unique. Well, what Paul is saying is that you who believe, and we'll get to that word in a second, you have been set apart. This is something that only God can do. God does this. And how does he do this? When does he do this? And let's look at the second word, faithful to the saints, to the the separated ones, the, the called out ones. Who are faithful. Now we look at that and we say, that we think of faith like a faithful spouse, right? Someone who's faithful, like a f- husband, he's either faithful or he's not faithful. And so we look at this and say, he's writing to people who are completely obedient. They're perfect in their walk with Christ. But that's not what Paul is saying. That's not who these people are. It just simply means people who believe, the believing ones. So Paul is saying to the saints who are in Ephesus, 
and are the believing ones, ones who believe in Jesus. So here's what happens. When you believe in Jesus, when you cry out to him for forgiveness of your sin and you come to him as the Lord of your life, you then are set apart by God. The believing is your part. You've got to believe. But then God sets you apart unto himself and you become a saint of God. So if you believe, you are saint, fill in the blank, right? Man, that's what, really? Yeah, Saint Jessica. It's kind of cool, right? Saint Larry, yeah? I hadn't heard that, of that saint before, but that's who you are if you believe. And that's your position in Christ. Now, here's the secret. How, how do we, it's time for us to start living up to that position. So here's what I want you to see in this, in this issue here is that sainthood, being a saint, it's something for now, not for later. And it's here on the screen as soon as he pushes the button. <laughs> being a saint is now, and it's a result of your faith. Right now, you are a saint, set apart. Now, if you believe that, great. If you don't believe that, hey, look, you need to get on board because that's who God has called you. Now, we looked at, there was one other word that I skipped past for time's sake, but it's the word Ephesus. That word isn't in the oldest manuscripts, actually. So the idea is that this is a circuit letter that was sent out for one church to read and then pass on to the next church. This church to read and pass on to the next church. So it's kind of like the idea of the, there was like a, a blank. To the saints who are at, fill in the blank, Ephesus, great. To the saints who are at Colossae, great, fill in the blank. To the saints who are at Life Journey Church. And are faithful. And this applies to us today. The rest of what we're going to read and be taught about. So the first question, who wrote this? Paul. And he knew who he was. He had a conviction of him. He was an apostle. He knew what God had created him for. Secondly, who is it written to? To the saints who believe. And being a saint, it's right now. It's not future. It's right now. The third question, really quick, is of all the things that could be asked or excuse me, of all the things that could be written first to these saints, what's the very first thing that Paul wrote? I mean, he could write a lot of stuff. Like the very first thing, what did he write? He didn't write about their behavior. He didn't write about, you know, the, the memory he had one time about them. The very first thing, the first thing that came off his pen is this idea of grace. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Grace. God's unmerited favor towards us in that while we were so far from him, he paid the penalty for us to give us an inheritance we could not deserve. He says grace to you. Anybody know a, a girl named Carissa? All right. We, we have a friend named Carissa. That comes from the, uh, this word that we come in the Greek for grace. Carissa. And so this idea is that through God's grace then we can have peace, peace from God, peace with God, peace. We search for peace, and we'll talk about that in a second, in all sorts of places. But until we experience the grace of God, we'll never have that peace. In the Old Testament, there was a lot of, in the Hebrew cultures, there's a lot of, you know, this word, this idea of shalom. You know, you've heard this term. There's a TV show even like shalom in the home. You guys catch that a couple years ago? But it's this idea of this peace, this, this idea of, of spiritual prosperity and, and completeness. That will never come, peace will never come apart from grace. And it's all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. 
The major reason for writing this letter is for those who believe in Jesus to know the crazy extent of the spiritual blessings that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit make possible. This peace is only found through God's grace. So these are these three questions that we've tried to answer. Who wrote it? Who is he writing to? And what's the very first thing that came off the pen? Paul knew who he was. He knew and he fulfilled the purposes that God had created him for. Oh, church, that I wish that you, if you haven't, I wish that you would really wrestle with how God has shaped you. Remember, we talked about that two weeks ago, how he has shaped us. That's S-H-A-P-E. How he has, what spiritual gift he's given you, what heart desire, what you love to do, your ambitions, your personality, what your abilities and, and, and what your, your experiences in life. That's how God shapes you to use you. This is our fifth core value. And we see Paul fulfilling our fifth core value. <laughs> he's saying, this is who I am. This is what God has created me to be, an apostle by the will of God. And I'm doing that will. If God can use Paul to do God's vision for Paul's life. Can't he use you? Is God only good enough for Paul or is he good enough for us as well? The second question we talked about is being a, uh, who is he writing to man? To the saints. Think about the wicked life Paul has. And this is what the devil tries to tempt us with is, man, you're, you'll never be a saint. You could never be set apart. You can never be a saint. Look at what you did. Look at what you do. But look at Paul. If you've murdered somebody because of Jesus, raise your hand. Okay, you're not worse off than Paul was, as far as we would, you know, gauge worseness. And if Paul was set apart and a saint for God, man, can't you be? Absolutely. And if you don't come away with anything else this morning, come away with this. I am who I am, not based on who I think I am or who I feel I am. I am who I am based on who God says I am. Man, if that could sink in, I am who I am, not based on who I think I am or who I feel I am, but based on who God says I am. If you have, be, if you have faith in Jesus, then you have been set apart. You are a saint. But if you have not placed Jesus as the Lord of your life, then you are who God says you are. You are far from him and you need to come this morning to give your life to Christ and this peace don't we search for peace in so many different places? We look for peace. If you seek peace anywhere else besides the grace of God, you'll never find it. Where do we look for peace? We look for it in relationships left and right. I was talking with a guy just the other day, and he was telling me about some of his marriages, some of his relationships, and he's just like, man, I just ran to it because there was some connection. There was a peace. There was a, a happiness there. But then it ended each time. Because it wasn't what he was really searching for. You look for it in a job and an income and possessions. Some even look for peace. If, if I just lost 10 pounds, I'd be at peace with myself. No, you wouldn't. You'd find something else to complain about. Because we can't find peace in anywhere besides the grace of God. Sometimes we look for it in our education. Well, I've got these letters before and after my name. Yeah, okay, well, great. But you still don't have Jesus. You're not going to have peace. Sometimes we search for peace in our ignorance. Like, I don't have letters. I don't have... You're not going to find peace there either. It only is in Jesus. So I'm really, really excited 
about this study through Ephesians. Because if we're going to be a church that God uses to spread his fame into the darkness of our community and our world, then we must know who we are in Christ and that mean, and what that means in our practical daily living. What if we all began to fulfill God's vision and God's purposes for our lives? What if each of you, if Bob could say, Bob, a blank of Jesus Christ by the will of God, whatever that is for Bob, but Bob does that, you know, and Leela, Leela, a blank of God, whatever that is, however God has wired you. But what if we all did that? What if we, each of us, we lived in the reality of being set apart for the glory of God because of our faith? What if we lived with this peace that surpasses all understanding? What if we lived in this as a group, as a church? What would our church become? What would this community become? Man, this is exciting. It's exciting to be a part of something that's at this level, at the grassroots level, that we're in this beginning stage. It's so exciting to see what God can do through people who have nothing except the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. Man, it's so exciting to see what God's going to do through people who have nothing except for the cross that gives us access to God. Man, it's so exciting to see what God's going to do through this church with people who have nothing except for Jesus. And can I tell you, man, that's enough. Man, that is enough. For Jesus is more, he's the greatest possession that we could ever possess. He is the greatest thing for us to ever reach out and attain. But if you've never reached out for him, if you've never taken hold of Jesus, if you've never received him as your savior, then you you haven't inherited what God has for you. But tonight, ah, this morning, you can. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. With no one looking around as we are wrapping up our time this morning. Let me just encourage you right now. To examine your own heart. You are who you are. Not based on what you think you are. Or how you feel you are. But on who God says you are. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? Have you cried out to him for repentance and forgiveness? Have you recognized that your sin has separated you from a perfect and holy God? Listen. Jesus has come and has taken that penalty that if you would believe, that you would receive Jesus, you would be Become a son, a daughter of the God of this universe. And you would then be an inheritance of everything that God has. And what does God not have? So in the quietness of this moment, do you, this morning, have a relationship with God through Jesus? If you don't, listen, just talk to God. If you say, you say, well, I don't, I know I don't. And if you feel the Spirit of God drawing you to him, just cry out to God in this very moment. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I, my sin has separated me from God, and I need you. You are more important. You are more valuable than the life itself. 
Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. Save me. Just talk to God. Just cry out to him. If you know God through Jesus this morning, I just pray that you would, over the course of these next couple of weeks, as we walk through the book of Ephesians, that you would open up your heart and your mind to realize who you are is not based on how you, who you think you are, who you feel you are, but it's on who God says you are. And get this junk of trying performance-based living, just get it out and realize that you have been set apart. Now it's time to live in response to what God has done. So here's how we're going to close our service. Jerry's just going to lead us in a time of music. But you can keep your seat. You can stand and worship. If you'd like to talk with me about receiving Jesus as your Lord, then I'm going to be standing right here. Feel free to come and talk to me. If you need to, maybe you want to come up and just pray with me about how the devil has been just raking you over the coals because of just bringing stuff into your mind that just has, is defeating you. And you need to release and get rid of that and realize that you are a saint because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. But you can also just stay there at your chair, at your seat, and respond as God is leading.